0: for that prayer. It's Mother's Day, huh? And and, you know, when when I figured that out, that it was Mother's Day in the States, I looked it up online to see if it's still, if it's also Mother's Day in Canada. And you know, there are mothers in Canada too. So, um, (laughs) who knew? Um, So, uh, anyway, happy Mother's Day to all of you. You know, why do we do these days? Why do we need these days? We need them to remind us to be grateful. Right? To be grateful for those who bore us, to be grateful for those who have nurtured us, to be grateful for all those who have been in our lives, it is a lie to think that uh, we make it on our own, no matter who we are. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here and grandmothers and mothers to be and mothers who would like to be and, and, and all of you who have had roles in, uh, our, our in, in this community. Uh, of nurturing and helping people to grow. That said, I'm not going to preach a Mother's Day sermon. Although, you know, I, maybe at the end I'll tie it in just a, 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 a little bit. Okay. Uh, what I want to do this morning is a continuation of what I was doing last week. And For those of you who weren't here, you didn't miss that much. But... Um, we were talking about Isaiah, uh, Isaiah forty-three twelve through twenty-one, or no, sixteen through twenty-one. It's a passage that, um, in, in which the the prophet Isaiah, the the now this is kind of the Isaiah of the of Babylon, the Isaiah um, um, who you have whose voice is in uh, chapters forty through 55, not just in chapters 40 through 55, but that's where it's concentrated. And, and, and this Isaiah is trying to get these people to see that God is now coming in a new way for them, calling them into a new mission, a new way to be the people of God. And so what he does in that passage is he first takes them to the edge of the Red Sea, the, reminds them of where they came from. And if you recall the scene, the armies of Pharaoh are behind, chasing them down, and the sea is in front of them, and God, this is, this is what Isaiah says, God gives them a way through the water, which is what God does. He gives us a way through those things that we think will drown us. And then, just when you're kind of absorbing that scene, then this is what the prophet says. Now, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I, God, am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you see it? So he challenges them to, to look to the future, to a a new exodus. And the new exodus is now not from Egypt, but from Babylon. And it's not through the Red Sea, but through the desert. Um, All of that we talked about last time. What I'd like to do this morning is read a passage from uh, the Gospel of John. So uh, John chapter 16. This this is in the the last discourse. If you know how John's set up, um, every gospel has a moment in it, usually sort of right in the center of the gospel, where it turns towards the cross. And for John, that's in chapter 12. Uh, Some Greeks come to see Jesus, and Jesus takes that as a sign that the time has come. And then they gather in the upper room for a last supper, and he washes their feet, and he begins to speak, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is chapter 16, so the, the last discourse begins in 14, 15, 16, and then there's a prayer in 17. What I'd like to read for you is just um, a few verses, four verses from uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 12. Jesus is speaking I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Into the whole truth. Into all of the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. It comes from Christ. All that belongs to the Father is Mine. And that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. So there's a story in the book of Acts, Acts 10. If you want to look it up in your Bibles. Uh, it, it's a story which is about two men. And One of them you know well, I think, if you know the Bible, it's the Apostle Peter. And, and, and at this point, he is in... Uh, Joppa, or actually, in, in Hebrew it would be Yafo. Um, it, it's it's it, that's a that town is now part of Tel Aviv. Uh, it's uh, it, it's Tel Aviv Yafo, and it's it's um, it's one of the great port cities in Israel, one of the largest cities in Israel, and uh, and it's an important place. It was important even then. He he had just done a magnificent miracle, the raising of Tabitha, and he was hungry. That's that's where. He's staying at uh, the house of Simon the Tanner. And uh, Simon the Tanner apparently has done well. He sold a lot of leather because he lives on the beach. He lives in, in, a, in a house on the water, um, which even then would have been valuable. And so um, uh, Peter is there, and, and he's waiting for somebody to fix him something to eat. And he goes upstairs on the roof deck. And while he's there, a, a trance comes over him. He falls asleep. He begins to dream. You know, one of those kind of dreams that you, you get in the... I, I don't know about you, but I don't remember my dreams at night at all. Almost never. But in the day, if I fall asleep, I, I can sometimes fall into a dream, and when I wake up, I have no idea where I am and what's going on. Um, it, it must have been that kind of moment for, for Peter, and he dreams... Who would have thought it? He dreams of food, sort of. He actually dreams that there was this big sheet coming down, well, probably like a sailcloth. Um, maybe he's looking at the boats out there, and that's, that's what was in his head. And, and this thing comes down, and it has uh, it's held by the four corners, and when it comes down, it is filled with animals, four-footed animals, reptiles, birds, and then a voice comes. I used to think it was the voice of God, but it doesn't say that. It says just a voice. And the voice says to Peter, kill and eat. Kill and eat? I mean, if it had been fish, Peter would have known what to do with it. But there weren't any fish in this thing. Just Lots of unclean beasts uh, in, in the Jewish system. And, 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 and Peter, contrary to what a lot of people seem to think, Peter was actually probably a pretty sophisticated man I mean he uh, he owned a, a house and a business in Capernaum um, you know he was a person of substance I just saw one of those TV movies um, TV Bible movies just drive me crazy and um, and this one in particular uh, was a movie in which uh, Peter is portrayed as this kind of um, this dolt this um this roustabout, you know, who gets himself in trouble fighting with people and, and so forth and is about ready to lose his boat and, and just seem, can't seem to get anything right. That's not Peter in the, in the Bible. So he can imagine what he thinks. You can think in a dream. What, what, he, what he thinks is, this, this isn't right, and he says it. The, the voice says, kill and eat and he says, no way, Lord. I would never eat what was unclean, and the word used in the Greek is koine, that, uh, and what, what is uh, excluded, what is not kosher, what is, doesn't belong, what is disgusting. I mean, we're not just talking about a ham sandwich here, we're talking about a lizard sandwich, right? He says, I would never eat that. And then the voice comes. And you ought to you want to take one thing home today. Ponder this verse. The voice says, What God has made clean uses the word for clean in Greek. Do not declare disgusting or outside the pale, or not kosher, or not good, or not clean. And we're not talking here about animals. We're talking about people, as you will see. Meanwhile, Luke does a good job of telling this story. He, he, he does sort of he, he does it in two different panels you know you've got to look at so in in you have Ioffo, uh, um and that's Peter and the dream there and and meanwhile actually a little earlier there's another dream which comes to a Roman centurion named Cornelius uh, Roman centurions were the commanders of a hundred soldiers nominally, and they were people usually that had rose, risen up from the um from the ranks, and so you know he had done well. He was, it says, a God-fearer. That means, in in uh, that New Testament era, it means someone who had affiliated with the Jewish faith, hadn't become a Jew yet, hadn't gone through all the ceremonies, but was a, a worshiper of God, God-fearer. And it says that he that he was generous. He gave. He did lots of, of acts of mercy. And he was a man of prayer, and everybody respected him, and everybody loved him. This this guy was a person of substance, and he also has a dream. And the dream says, it's an angel, go, send somebody to Yafo. He's in Caesarea, up the coast. Send somebody to Yafo, and and you'll find a man there named Peter, and bring him back. And he's he's got something to tell you. So that happens. You know, he, he sends three guys down to uh Yaffo and the, the whole thing is told with a little humor. And you know, Peter hears them outside knocking on the door and he asks what they're looking for, and they say, Peter, and, and, and he and they explain what's going on, and he decides to go with them, but he takes a little troop with him, just probably to kind of be safe. And they walk into the house of Cornelius in Caesarea Maritima, the, the, the place on the coast. And, and nobody knows what's going on. Cornelius doesn't know what to do. He's never been in this circumstance before. He falls down on his knees in front of Peter and starts to worship him. And Peter says, no, no, I'm a man like you, and gets him up. And then Peter puts his foot in his mouth. He says, now you know that for us Jews to be in a place like this, to associate with with people like you, is disgusting. Not a good opening. And then he says, What what would you like of me? Why am I here? And Cornelius says, I I, I don't know. I I had a dream, and the dream said to take you here. So they're kind of looking at each other, and Peter does what preachers do. He starts to preach. He starts to present the gospel. He he does it in such a powerful way. Because he, he, he's no longer talking about himself. He's talking about the story of Jesus and the story of how Jesus dies and how Jesus arose and how people saw him. And he gets about at that point and all of a sudden, everybody in the room, and it and wasn't just Cornelius. It was Cornelius and his whole family. You got the feeling that there's all kinds of Roman citizens here in this, in this place. They start. It doesn't really say exactly what they did, but they probably start to speak in tongues. The Spirit comes on them. In some deep sense, Cornelius gets it. Cornelius' family gets it. They realize that what Peter is talking about is something which is changing the world. You know, when we have evangelistic encounters, we often think that we have the goods, we are Christians, we have the goods and those people have a need and we're going to bring our stuff to them and then they're going to have whatever they need. But in this story, and this is true, in every evangelistic encounter in this story, both people, both men need to change. Peter needs to change. He needs to see the world differently. And Cornelius needs to change. He needs to see the world differently. And it's Cornelius that seems to come to it first. Out of the words of Peter, but he comes to it. And then Peter begins to get it too. And he says, they have the same spirit as we do What can we do but baptize them? And they baptize them, and Peter stays there, and the world has changed, and the church has changed. And all of a sudden, this wall that was between Jew and Gentile begins to fall apart, to crumble. That's what Jesus is talking about in, in that passage that I read to you. He says, verse 12, I have much more to say to you. He's talking to his disciples. He's he's talked to them for for some years now. But but he says, I I have more to say to you. More than you can now bear. More than you can now hear. More than you can now understand. Because you're not there yet. But you will be. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Spirit will guide you into the whole truth, all the truth. That's what is happening in the story of Peter and Cornelius. They're beginning to grasp something of the truth that they hadn't grasped before. So what does this look like? Well, you could you know, go back to the New Testament and, and find examples of, of how the church, in its course, begins to discover more and more and more of what it means to be the followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, you could take a couple chapters earlier, actually, uh, in Acts, the story of, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Eunuchs were, by Torah proscribed from going to the temple. They were not allowed in the courts of the temple. They were damaged and and they were considered damaged and they couldn't go in the temple. And now there is a man, an Ethiopian eunuch. And he's in his chariot, his cart, whatever, on his way presumably back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia and he has a, a... a, a copy of a scroll of Isaiah in his hands and he's reading it this man is obviously educated and probably rich but he's outside the pale he is part of the, he's he's one of those things that that Peter would call disgusting one of those people and the spirit whispers to Philip and says that man That man is one of mine. Go to him. And Philip runs up to the chariot and says, do you understand what you read? And the man says, how can I unless I have somebody to explain it? And Philip gets up in the chariot and explains to him Isaiah in terms of Jesus Christ. And they stop after a while and get down and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian and suddenly a barrier has been transcended. Or you could take, I mean, it's, this, is a, this might seem smaller, but actually in, in some ways it's greater. Um, you, you, could, you can think about Paul when he's in Asia and he wants to do some more churches in Asia and the Spirit keeps somehow, we don't know exactly how, but preventing him from preaching in Asia, and then he gets this dream, and in this dream, there's a man from Macedonia, and he says, come over into Europe and help us, and help us. The world. Or you could take what's become one of my favorites of all of Paul's epistles, the, the epistle to the Galatians. You know how that uh, epistle goes. It, so at the beginning, um, it, actually at the beginning it's very interesting in regard to this particular passage um, because they're in Antioch now and, um, and Peter's there and Paul's there and in, in, and. Paul says that Peter was just fine with sitting down with the likes of Cornelius um, in Antioch and eating with them and drinking with them and and enjoying them and, and considering them to be part of the congregation. And then the religious police come from Jerusalem, from James, I guess, and... Who knows what they said, but when they get there, Peter suddenly gets religion and decides that he can't do that anymore. He can't sit down with Gentiles anymore. And so he starts to do it separately. He starts to go back to the old rules, and Paul confronts him on it. And then, and then Paul turns to the people in Galatia with that example in their heads. You foolish Galatians, who is bewitched? Before your very eyes, Christ was proclaimed, portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the believing of what you have heard? Are you so foolish? And then he goes on through that passage, and I'm not going to do the whole passage here, but he goes on, and right near the end of that passage, you get this? So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. You are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. That's what they were working on at the time, you know. That's Cornelius and Peter. That's the Galatian situation. That's all the, there was neither Jew nor Greek. That was a great wall in antiquity. And, and, and Christ tears it down. We're slave or free. Took a lot longer with that one, huh? I don't think it's still gone. There are people still who want to divide the world into races and to say that race is God's people and that one isn't? Slave or free? Male or female? Think of the wars in the church over gender roles. But if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And all of you, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, belong to Christ, heirs of Abraham, according to the promise. Some time ago, I came up with a Kind of inelegant way of thinking about God, and uh, I did, even did a little piece on this in the denominational magazine, the Banner, um, but I don't think anybody read it. So um, it was uh, it, it was the God who pushes and the God who pulls. Now, now you need both. These are. Whenever we speak of God, we're always speaking in analogy and metaphor because we cannot look directly into the face of God. We don't have the substance to be able to do that. But, but in this case, the God who, who the God who pushes is the God at the beginning of the Bible. The God who creates. Let there be light, and there was light. It's the God who gives the Torah, six hundred and thirteen commandments, according to tradition. It's the God who says, do this and do that. That's the God who pushes. And a lot of people only have the God who pushes. So they say, as Peter would have been tempted to say when he saw the sheep coming down, they say, well, God said this once. He doesn't change his mind, so this must be the case. Because all the God they have is the God who is back there. The Bible, as often, maybe more often, especially in the New Testament, especially in the words of Jesus, speaks of the God who pulls, who summons. That the God who is at, at the end of history, who you can see ahead of us, The the God in Jesus Christ who is saying to us, Come, come, I will give to you all the truth. Keep coming. You don't have it all yet. There is more to be discovered. We need that God. We need that God in our denomination. We need that God in our churches. We need that God in Christianity in general. We need to be always. Listening to the call of God who calls us into new insights. And that call of God comes in strange places and at strange times. And if you don't hear it, or if you disobey it, then you will not know the fullness that Christ has for us. So that's my message. Listen to the God who calls us. The God who pulls. Not just the God who pushes, but the God who pulls. How, how, How do you know that God? You know that God always in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is the face of Jesus Christ. Or the face of Jesus Christ is the face of the Spirit. Maybe that's a better way to put it. The Spirit calls us. The Spirit is active. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit is calling us into all truth. And we need humbly and together and in argument and in discussion and in a thousand other ways to be listening to what God is calling us. And then step in that. And maybe that's true, not just for the church as a whole, but for you and for me. For me, even as a kind of old, retired pastor, to be always asking myself every day, what is God calling me?" The God who pushes and the God who pulls. The God who commands and the God who summons. You need both. If if you only have the one picture of God, you're going to get it wrong. Lord Jesus, you have promised us that you will send us the Spirit, that you have sent us the Spirit, that you have anointed us with the Spirit, and called us into new truth. And we're frightened by that new truth. That new truth seems, Lord, to us to be too, too much. We want to say, Lord, you said this in the past. I'll, I'll, how can you say this new thing? How can you call us into new, into new things? Help us, Lord, to listen with discernment, with grace, together. And help us, Lord, to understand. For you are the God who invites us together calls us into community you are the one who calls us to share your body and your blood and so this morning in this moment send your spirit on each person here that we might be your servants that we might receive your sacrament and that we might be your people and your witness in this place